What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Always To There Are, a Star Wars discussion podcast. I am Josiah, here with my co-host, Steven. Hello, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you, dear listeners? Pretty good. Pretty uh, hey, they said they're doing pretty good. Um, this week, we are back in the studio to record our episode covering Star Wars Return of the Jedi, also known as Star Wars Episode Six. Also known as the third one. Yeah, that too. Um, Steven, any quick thoughts before we jump into it? Uh, this is my favorite of the original trilogy. <laughs> what if I just, like, you started talking and then I hit the intro music? <laughs> like, and it just interrupted you. <laughs> <laughs> Were you getting criticized for in our first few episodes for always cutting me off? Uh, yes, yes, I was. <laughs> I was. All right, everybody, let's jump right into it. Steven, Star Wars Return of the Jedi. Give me a single word thought. Exciting. Ooh. What about you? I I was not prepared for my own question. No, I can tell That's why you <laughs> turned it on you. Um, um single word uh improvement. Definitely. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why yeah. do you say improvement? Because uh, it's better than the first two. But in in what way? Uh, most. Most ways. The it's, acti- it's called the, description. The, the acting is significantly improved. True. Um, the dialogue, significantly improved. Most of my issues with the original trilogy stop with episode five. Um, episode six is, it has the best lightsaber duel that we get. Um, it's still not amazing, but it, it is good for the time. Um, I will. I'll admit that. Could be better. Just to be clear, we are. You are comparing to the prequels. No. Well, because when you saw the originals, you had seen the prequels first. Mm-hmm. So, from your judgment, is relating back to what you've already seen. I would rank Darth Vader versus Luke Skywalker as the best lightsaber fight in the original trilogy. Yes. Which which comes the worst lightsaber fight in the prequel trilogy is right above that. Right, but that's that's my point is that your your standard for what is a quote-unquote good lightsaber fight has been defined by that's the prequels. That's partly valid, but I'm also comparing this to like other movies of the time where like even for a a sword fight, the fights in these movies are not good, or not great. They're not great. You mean for the early '80s? Yes. Oh, I would hard disagree with you on that one. I just know that there's just just bring in Kurosawa's guy, bring in Kurosawa's choreographer. That's not of the '80s though. That's way before the '80s. Exactly. Exactly, which means there's no reason for it to be this bad. Anyway, I'm not here to talk trash about lightsaber fights. I've done that many times, and I will do it many times more. But today we're talking about Return of the Jedi. Um, So let's jump into our first question. Steven, who is your favorite character in this movie? It is a tie, honestly, between Luke and Palpatine. Ooh. And, okay, main main good guy versus 
maybe the main villain. Yeah, we Not, all know you're basic. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for Luke, so I was thinking about this earlier today. Luke, this is the movie where he really kind of comes into his own. Oh, yeah. And he oh, really, yeah. this is where he really comes into his identity as a character. Jedi Knight. And not even just as a Jedi Knight, but like as a person. His When we see him at the end of Episode 5, we see him at the beginning of Episode 6, you can immediately tell that for Luke, there has been a lot of development and change in that time gap between the two movies. Yeah, just in like the way he carries himself. Yeah, exactly. He has assumed like a new personality. He has assumed a new... Like, he's no, confident. So he's confident. New personality. You can tell he has grown and developed in his like his skills, abilities, his competences. Compet- oh my god! Bro, the first thing we see Luke do is choke a boy out. Like right. He's also not your your goody two shoes Jedi. Well, so I think that is something. So I just want to put in real quick before we keep going on on this. Like Luke is my favorite character from this movie. Um. I say that just because I didn't want to get to the end of the conversation about Luke and then be like, yeah, he's my favorite character too. Sure. Um, but like that moment specifically when he when he chokes the Gaborian guard, you really have to think that like back then there was no definition of like there was not a dark side, light side abilities. Exactly. Like it, the, the force as we had seen it was telekinesis, choking, and mind tricks. That was it. Yeah. And so, like, at that time, there was no distinction between the two. And so I don't even know, like, because looking at Return of the Jedi from 2022, knowing everything we know about Star Wars, Luke is a gray Jedi because he uses dark side powers. Sure. By very base definitions. But if you look at it from the time, he's, he's just, he's a, he's a Jedi. Like, he's not, he doesn't right. fall into that whole Grey Jedi thing. And then, like, we took that and ran with it when it came to the EU. And, like, in the EU, he's, like, the definition of a Grey Jedi. Sure. And then, but, like, it, it's so interesting cu- to kind of look at it from the original perspective. And, I don't know, kind of be able to put aside the extended lore and just look at it as, this is the first time we saw a green lightsaber on screen. This is the first time we saw someone other than Darth Vader use force choke. This is like first time we saw anyone other than Obi-Wan use a uh, mind trick. So like the original trilogy does a lot to define um, the force powers. And I think we'll get a lot more into that when we get to our influence segment. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting is that at the time, and even in the early EU during like the 80s and 90s, there really wasn't a great Jedi. There were Sith, and there were Jedi who skirted like that line yeah. between the light side and the dark side. And it was really more of, you had it was either you were Sith or you were Jedi. And if you were Jedi, then there was kind of a a sliding scale of, you know, how close did you get to the dark side and succumbing to it? And it was one of those things where the Jedi didn't like it when other Jedi got too close to that line. Yeah. Because it was too risky. Um, and, and Luke is definitely one of those Jedi that 
gets close to that line and it's you know you didn't have the light side abilities and the dark side abilities you had the philosophies the sith wanted their power they wanted control and they were willing to do heinous things to get it yeah. and keep it the jedi were you know as anakin says selfless compassionate etc and it was really more about their philosophy uh, and not about like the abilities they use. Hmm. Uh, but even you know, as a kid before the prequels, I always got a sense from that scene when he chokes the Gamorrean that there was a darker nature to using the Force in that way. Even if yeah. it wasn't quote unquote a dark side ability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which in all the media, all the EU stuff since it is like. An explicitly dark side ability. Yeah. Um, or at least defined as such, even if lightsiders can still do it. Mm. Um, but I always got that sense that it's just like, this is something you wouldn't see Obi-Wan do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's clearly a, when you see Luke for the first time do this, you get the sense that Luke is not going to follow in the footsteps of Yoda and Obi-Wan in the sense of, like, their philosophies, their dogma. They're, like, strict. Yeah. Holding to the... He's he's not going to become the Yoda who's just like, he's too old, I'm not training him. Kind of Jedi, so... Uh, even though he kind of does, though. He does. In... Which is sad, sequel trilogy. Yeah, yeah. but... Uh, at the time, and all the way up until then, he was very much just like anyone. Will, I'll train anyone, and I'll train them based on my own philosophies. Yeah, uh, and that's when you get into like the the Jedi Academy games, where Luke is a side character, who is building up the new Jedi Order. It's all adults, like all the initiates are like teenagers and young adults, and he is teaching them about both the light side and the dark side. He's letting them have relationships and families, etc. He lets Kyle Katarn go off and kind of be a lone wolf. And they kind of keep a friendly working relationship. So, And I really like that version of Luke and that version of the New Jedi Order. And it real, I, I do think it really stems from that first image of Luke in Return of the Jedi. All black clothes, dark cloak... Willing to threaten, and almost maybe a little too willing to threaten. He, I, I watched the first like forty five minutes of the the movie. He threatens a lot. Like he threatens a lot. He does. And I think it's interesting because the old Jedi were a little spineless in that sense. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that really led to their downfall, is they were not willing to fight for freedom. And peace. Whereas Luke is like, I'll leave you alone unless you do something, then I'll take you down. Because if you're going to be a threat to the stability, mm -hmm. then I'm going to eliminate that threat. Luke is a lot like me when I play um, video games with like a, a morality scale. Where it's like, I swear I'm a good guy. But like if you cross me, you won't be living. That... 
just how it is. <laughs> if you cross me, I'm going to press the right thumbstick and activate no, the cheat console. No, you s- No. <laughs> Why? Why do you have to do this to me? <laughs> just go into the game files and delete your character file. You know I'm not smart enough to do that. I never said that. Anyway, um, yeah, as I said, Luke's my favorite character. Also, um, this is my favorite iteration of him. Uh, just the, yeah. the the sleek black clothes. They're just cool. Definitely. Um, he is, this is actually what I don't like about the Jedi versus the Sith. It's why I tend to like the Sith. It's because they're cool. They have they're fun. They have style and fashion. The Jedi are generally just kind of. That's valid. I, I personally, bland. I personally think the Jedi are pretty cool. I mean, the concept of the Jedi are cool. They're just they're pretty bland, except for Luke. Anywho, now way. Okay. Then Palpatine. Yeah, Palpatine. Tell me a little more about that. <laughs> so Palpatine. You know what I'm trying to say. Palpatine is probably, and this is why I say he's tied because he Palpatine is probably my favorite villain of all time in any franchise at least Palpatine in this movie um close seconds are Princess Azula uh I don't know if you've seen Battlestar Galactica but Caprica 6 um she's a evil Cylon robot bent on destroying humans uh and the, one of the common threads, I was thinking about this, one of the common threads between these three is they are all to some degree deranged. Mm. And I think a really good component to a compelling villain is some level of derangement. Yeah. It, it just, I think it adds a level of unpredictab- unpredictability to the villain. And it, it, the only other villain that I really enjoy, who I, I guess kind of is deranged, but maybe not, is Maleficent. She's just petty. She is, but her main like trait that makes her evil, and this is interesting because it's an original Disney character from what, the 50s, 60s. Uh, she's evil for the express purpose of being evil. She wants to be evil. Most other villains are usually evil because of their derangement or because of some traumatic, you know, event in their past that has turned them sour or bitter Mm. towards something or someone. And and they, they cope with that bitterness in ways that we would define as evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think Palpatine he's probably so I don't really know any of his lore pre the movies mm-hmm. so I like all of his interactions with Plagueis and him as a kid and as an apprentice um, but my guess not knowing any of that my guess would be that he is he is evil through the result of being manipulated and essentially raised by Plagueis. Mm. Uh, so it's not he doesn't really fall into that category 
that Maleficent does where it's a, I want to be evil. He just kind of is. But yeah. he's he's got all the classic tropes of being evil. Dark robes. He's lightning. powerful. He's powerful. He's Ugly cruel. face. Ugly face. Uh, Trying to start a father-son business. The Empire. Skywalker and Company. I mean, we did establish that Palpatine is basically Anakin's daddy. It's his force daddy. Kinda. I don't like saying it like that. No. Um. Yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, I don't have much to add on Palpatine in the original trilogy. He's kind of barely there. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. 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 All righty. Anyway. Adios. No. <laughs> um, Steven, what is your favorite line from this movie? Favorite line. That is a good question because I don't really know. There's nothing. And I say that because there's really nothing in this movie that sticks out to me the same way that that lines in the other two movies stick out. Um, when I think of this movie, it's really more the moments that I that I think of and remember more easily and off the top of my head. If anything, it's either uh, one of Lando's lines while they are just starting or during the battle over Endor or it's Leia's line when she's like of course I love him he's my brother and it's because of the facial expressions that are elicited because of the line or you know expressed when saying the line because yeah. Han's face when she's just like of course I love him he is just priceless it's great. And then Lando and his uh, Soliston co-pilot. I can't, remember, <laughs> I can't remember his name. Oh, oh I just know he's a Soliston. Ten, ten, uh, Something like that. Tupac. It's Tupac. It's definitely Tupac. Okay. Tupac it is. Yeah, Lando and Tupac. Uh, Dynamic duo. <laughs> <laughs> Alternate Tupac here is uh, the the faces that they make. Nine nub, nine nub, nine, nine nub. Oh no, I had it. I I got it. I got it. You keep talking. The their faces they make when they come to the realization that the Death Star is operational. Uh, when they blow it up. Nine nerb, none. Is that an N U R B or N U N B? Nine nunb. It's mean, num none nunb, none. It's probably num, nung. That's a, you know what? 
Nunb. 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 Anywho now, way. Eh? Anyone? So I just like their facial expressions. Yeah. Uh, I love Lando and uh, Nine's chemistry. They're like, their, their whole interaction throughout the entire uh, trench run seven, I think, at this point. But Something um, like that. That's pretty great. Lando's face when they knock off the uh, radar dish. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, that's going to leave a scratch. <laughs> <laughs> that one's good, too. <laughs> and I know just kind of looks at him like, what? Um, Lando's yeehaw is very, very nostalgic. Um, How come? I had a... Uh, we, me and my brother had a poster hanging in our room for most of like middle and high school that my dad had just like, I don't even know where he found it, but it was just a poster of like the Death Star exploding and the Millennium Falcon flying away with the, like a, in massive letters, just yeehaw across the top. And it sat, I looked at it every day for like six years. So that one always like, I don't know, triggers my memory. Um, I think as far as like my favorite line from this movie, it's gotta be when uh, Luke fails to rescue Han and uh, Han, I can't remember how he words it, but he's like, how's it going? And Luke is like, oh, you know, about the same as always. And Han's like, that bad, huh? And it's just like, <laughs> a, just a really good picture of like, it, it really, I think solidifies them as like a, a part of this like trio and because you don't see them interact a ton through episode five. Yeah. And so like when you come, when you get to six, there's just this like understood relationship. And I think it's one of those pieces of banter that kind of brings that together and kind of shows that they're like, you know, they're used to going through these kinds of things together. They're used to getting out of these scraps together and kind of like they're like, you know, always keeping a good attitude through it. It's it's just very, it reminds me of like Anakin and Obi-Wan in a way. And what's interesting is those scraps that they get into and out of together have to be before episode five though. Because Hans and Carbonate, the whole time after they don't see each other again until Han gets unfrozen. I mean, yeah, that's valid. Yeah. I, I mean, even though you don't see them interact a ton in episode five, you do, you still see that understood relationship where, you know, Han goes out to find him. Right. Everyone else comes back and Han's like, no, I'm going to go find him and goes out, kills his Tauntaun, shoves Luke in there. It's, you know, just brotherly love all the way through. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, being two parts of a love triangle is always great. That's true. Really does something for a dynamic duo. Anyway, um, there were another couple lines. What is his name? The guy with the tentacles. Jabba's right-hand man. Oh, Bib Fortuna. Bib Fortuna. I was thinking Kit Fisto. I'm like, he's not in this movie. No. Unless. <laughs> um, unless he survived. What about Bib Fortuna? Um, something about when he's talking to 3PO is always very 
nostalgic. I can't even remember it now, but it's like when I heard it watching it earlier, I was like, oh, yeah, that one. And it was like Wana Wanga or something. I don't, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Um, no Wana Wanga. Yeah. And it uh, just, yeah, when they first come into the palace. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I actually always liked Bib Fortuna kind of as a char- like a side character. I I don't know why, but I always enjoyed that he was really stupid. <laughs> it's so funny when Jabba's like, you weak-minded fool. He's using <laughs> Jedi mind tricks. Yeah. And Luke's like, mind trick. And Jabba's like, no. <laughs> yeah. It, that moment actually kind of <laughs> proves that Jabba's not just like, like he's a crime lord for a reason. Yeah. Right? And that he's like, you know, Jedi mind tricks only work on the weak-minded, and Jabba's definitely not that. Now, did you try to do Jedi mind tricks on all the various huts in Coder? I tried on the bounties one. And on the races one. Yeah. But not on the fights one. Yeah, you can't on the fighting one because you don't have force persuasion. Right. But trying to do force persuasion on the racing huts on the other worlds. At, is there another bounty hut? On... I want to say there is. I just I can't remember. Mm-mm. It's only on Terrace. Okay. Uh, but trying it's it's very difficult. And with that combined with Jabba and Luke not being able to mind trick him, I always just kind of assumed that the huts were more or less immune. The same way that um uh Watto, the Tridarian guy, they're immune to force mind tricks. Uh but I do think it's it's possible, and I don't know if just Jabba is a particularly strong-willed and intelligent individual, or if there's like some level of natural immunity in the huts to Jedi mind tricks. Steven, what was your favorite moment of this movie? Honestly, this might be an unpopular opinion. My favorite moment is the montage of all the Ewok traps getting sprung. I have I, as a kid and as an adult, I have always just enjoyed watching the technological might of the empire There's get something about it, man. Totally trumped by the two the two logs that absolutely crush that walker. Yes. Just something cuz it makes sense. Like if you had you know just a 600 pounds tree on one side and a 600 pound tree on the other side converge on you like even in a heavily armored vehicle you're not getting out of that mm-hmm. e- even if it doesn't say even if you've got like internal struts supporting it the that kind of force would so severely damage the walker it would it wouldn't really be usable uh, but in this case, the walker had no internal struts, and the hollow box just kind of caved in. <laughs> uh, I just, I don't know. There's also, I think, a, 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 a message in there that just has some impact for me. That even if you go hyper-complex and complicated, like 
mechanized technology even then really simple machines can trump and can outdo or outperform that complexity and that the answer can be in something much simpler and straightforward yeah yeah uh I love the moment when uh, Chewie gets in the walker. Uh, there's something about it that's very, I think it's nostalgic. Um, I also remember it in the Lego games and like the, the like very fun play on it. And so it's just something that kind of sticks out. I think my favorite moment would have to be the Sarlacc pit kind of as a whole. Um, it's the first time we see Luke really be like awesome. Yeah. I've never understood why he jumped, grabbed onto the, the diving board, bounced off the diving board, did the flips, and landed instead of just jumping and landing. Yeah, I think I always just kind of figured it was a way to get the one dude with the axe staff kind of off guard. Because otherwise, if you if you just turned around and reached his hand up into the air, I, I figured that guy... They've just been like, what are you doing? And then just pushed him off the end of the board. So by jumping off and doing the whole thing. I also guess I figured that the, the flexibility of the board would give him the the uh, the leverage and momentum to actually like flip up and over the guy to get back on the uh, sailboat proper. I always thought it had purpose to it. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, it's also just flashy. Yeah, yeah. That also runs in the family. Um, yeah, Star Trek, which is cool. Getting to see, like, like seeing Han pull out the gun. And Lando's like, wait, I thought you were blind. And he's like, no, 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 I can see just fine. He's like, a That's little a higher, moment. a little higher, a little higher. I think honorable mentions. Uh, Darth picking up the Emperor, tossing him over the over the edge. Yeah. I never thought that even getting struck by Palpatine's lightning, I never thought that should have been enough to kill Vader. I don't think it was. I think it messed with his the suit that was keeping him alive. Yeah. I just I never thought once that that should have been enough to kill him. Even mess even messing up the life support systems in his suit. Um I also don't know if at the time that that was written that it, it was the suit that was keeping him alive so much as it was the helmet. Yeah. Because Luke was like, I, I'm not, I don't want to take it off. It'll kill you. Implying that you need, to, you need to wear it to live. And I guess kind of the further implication that it can only be taken off in that meditation chamber you see in episode five. Um, I really don't know what the intended life support system for Vader was at that point in time. It's evolved since that he's needed the whole suit to work together. Uh, but I just never felt that the lightning was, should have been enough to kill him. Uh, and as a real young child, I always assumed that Vader, like the death strike to Vader, was his hand getting cut off. I don't know why. 
maybe because it was so robotic, I decided like, oh wow, if you break a machine, like that's the simple logic of. It did seem pretty beat. Eight year old me is just like when you break a chunk off a machine like that, then the whole machine stops working. So cutting off his hand because he's a robot mostly that would kill him or that would be enough to break him so that he dies yeah that's valid but that is like that's a probably the most emotional point in the movie Mm. is because it's like he's always been evil he hasn't really cared about his son up until now and in episode five he was willing to kill luke because he told palpatine he'll join us or die Knowing that, yeah, that's my kid. And, uh, but once he actually gets into the position of his son being killed, that's when it's just like, what am I doing? And you can see, not really, but you can see it kind of change for Vader as he looks between Palpatine and Luke. And he's just like, wait, it's this, I've always been about my family. What am I doing? Picks up Palpatine, throws him down the shaft. And then thanks, thank you, Robot Chicken. We get the rest of that story. <laughs> and uh, brings me to my new, that I just thought of, favorite moment in Return of the Jedi. And that is when uh, Lando uh, windshield wipers Palpatine <laughs> off the Millennium Falcon windshield. And it's just like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Robot best, Chicken. Best moment of this movie. Of the whole Star Wars series, actually. You're disgusting. Thank you. Scruffy looking nerf herder. Oh, we never did eventually go over what a nerf is. Yeah, we did. Well, It's like a cow of. thing. Yeah, it's like a giant horned violent cow. But... You'll get to see a couple of them in uh, whenever we end up playing... The Old Republic. You'll see a few of them. Steven, what about this movie would you fix and or change? Honestly, I don't think there's much I would change or even add. Uh, in hindsight, uh, a very brief few second long scene of Palpatine being incinerated by the blowing up Death Star. And the Death Star itself an after credit scene where there is no debris left of the Death Star to fall into an ocean on a moon that's not Endor. That's all I'd change. Or rather add. It's just some canon to uh, invalidate some other movies. I don't. I know you don't like the other movies, Steven. Um, I think I just improved the fights. Fight, the singular fight. It was good, but it could be better. You know, maybe since you say that, maybe I would make the the ground based battle of Endor a little more expansive. Because the space one seems pretty big and epic. The The ground portion of the battle did not seem to meet to match the space portion. So I'd probably... More Imperial troops 
more more Ewoks. Uh, maybe have some of it kind of like Rogue One, the Battle of Scarif, where you you had ground troops supported by uh, some air forces. Maybe add some air forces into the Battle of Endor, and make it seem a little bit more grand in scale. We see an ATAT on Endor when uh, Luke is being transferred over to Vader, but it's not part of the battle. Probably because he couldn't get there. I always assumed that they were essentially the same location. I assumed that that shuttle landing pad area was attached to the shield generator. Mm, I did not. I was imagining the Empire was kind of all over Endor. See, I I didn't never got that impression. My impression was that they the only part of the moon that the Empire had any form of development was that shield generator. Mm. And it was, you know, that landing pad is a just a kind of a satellite facility. That's on the same, you know, campus. Interesting. What gave you the idea that they were just all over the moon? Blind assumption. That's why. Lack of evidence to the contrary. I mean, yeah, there is a a lack of evidence. Whether you believe that we came from fish or God, it all requires faith. Why not both? That too requires faith. Por que no los dos? I do not speak French. That was Spanish. (laughs) (laughs) How is that funny? I I thought that was really good. Uh, How did this movie influence Star Wars as a whole? I think it set the bar for uh, the scale of battles. Mm. <laughs> oh, goodness. Because think about at least for the space battles. Because the space battle in over Endor is rather chaotic. There's a lot. There's a million TIE fighters everywhere. And there are a significant number, but far less, of the rebels. Of uh, Y-wings, A-wings, and TIE fighters. And when you look at the, the main space battle in episode one, the battle over Geonosis in episode two, and the opening scene of episode three, they are all pretty grand and epic in scale. And they, all three of them, seize the good guys with far fewer numbers. And in the case of the Battle of Geonosis, they have clone troopers, but in terms of their machinery, they have a lot less than the separatists do and I think that all three of these battles took their cue from the space battle over Endor 
What about you? Green lightsabers. My personal favorite. Yeah. Moving away from the red and the blue. I think it kind of just set up the EU. Most of what we have in the EU is based on the original trilogy. Yeah, it definitely paved the road for all the post-Empire stuff, of which there's a lot. Mm -hmm. There is a lot. Yeah. Because I don't think there's... I actually don't think that there's really any... There's not a lot of pre-Empire or pre- Galactic Empire era stuff um, until we get to uh, Knights of the Old Republic and that's really when the uh, the Old Republic era took off in the EU we had the Tales of the Jedi but that was really it because everything else was post and then when Clone Wars came out we got a lot of we got a lot of comics and games that stemmed from the Clone Wars. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm having trouble. I'm hesitant to say that this isn't as influential to Star Wars as Empire Strikes Back. But honestly, I think that may be a true statement. Because Empire Strikes Back had a lot of firsts. And this kind of just built on that. Um, it did expand on the large scale space battle like you were saying um, and kind of the like the dual land and ground or land and air battle that we've seen in Battlefront and a couple of Battlefront games up till now but as a whole um, I don't know I don't really have much to add to this segment. Yeah, I wouldn't say... Like, I would say it's definitely kind of set the bar in terms of how certain things were developed or envisioned, like battles. Because in A New Hope, this it was just a space battle. It had no ground element. Um, and Empire Strikes Back, it was the opposite. Right, Empire Strikes Back, it didn't really have a space battle element. It just had a ground element. And ever since Return of the Jedi, we've had both elements. Yeah. Space and ground. Yeah. Um, which makes sense, because it's, you know, space-faring armies would naturally fight in space and then fight on the ground. I mean, that's the whole point for fighting in space over a planet in the first place is... You want something on the planet, and you'll eventually have to fight for it. Um, I would say Empire Strikes Back is probably the most influential, though. And not necessarily on the like the lore of Star Wars itself, but definitely on the fan base. Because so I would say that Empire Strikes Back is definitely the most popular of the three movies as a whole like generally speaking I'd say it's the most popular and it is I think in general that tends to be people's favorite parts of a story is you know that 
part in Act 2, kind of at the end of the second act, when the heroes fail, when the protagonist fails to do something or gets defeated, before they learn from that lesson and come back stronger for Act 3. And that's really where we are left off at the end of Empire Strikes Back. And that I, I think that tends to be a people's favorite part of a story. Because it's usually the point in which a story leaves the audience guessing the most. Like, do they really fail? Are they going to get stronger? How are they going to get stronger? That's where you have all the questions leading up to the climax of the story. Adios. Uh, Steven, do you have any final thoughts for Return of the Jedi and or the original trilogy as a whole? The original trilogy, I think, is the... Hmm. I think the original trilogy is... I enjoy it slightly better than the prequels because there's that element of nostalgia, but I, I think the story is much more solid than the prequels. However, the prequels are definitely much more exciting than they're they're they're, they're faster paced. Uh, Star Wars at this point has matured and we see much more kind of like, I guess, quote unquote, outrageous things in the prequels than we do in the original trilogy. You know, we don't see it, but we are left with complete, there's there's nothing ambiguous about it that Anakin massacres a village of sand people and he massacres a room of children. And it, it gets very dark in the prequels. And I, I, you know, a lot of people complain about the prequels being political, and you know, it gets a lot of flack for being boring, because people are they want Star Wars, not Star bureaucracy. But I've I've always thought it was real important to the overall setting and the story, because Palpatine is the villain of the prequels. And he isn't the kind of villain that, you know, most evil wizards are. Where they're just, like, it, it, hiding in some cave somewhere. Yeah, he's an evil space wizard. Yeah, he is. But he's not the kind where, you know, they hide in a cave somewhere until some minion finds the artifact that they need for their doomsday spell. Palpatine is... He's the very he's very hands on. Will do it himself, but he he doesn't go about achieving his evil agenda through some cataclysmic doomsday. He's he is political. He uses machinations to manipulate and control and maneuver his way into the position that he wants to be in in order to enact his evil plan. So I really like because it's it's so important to his development as a villain, and it's important to the story of how Vader fall falls to the dark side. The original trilogy, because of its story, because it's like to me, story is so important. 
I much prefer the old Doctor Whos to the newer ones, specifically the fourth Doctor, because the stories were so good. And when you go back that far, special effects and all that stuff could really ruin the viewing experience for someone in our age and our generation because they're used to HD stuff. They're used to a lot of computer-generated visual effects. Um, But if the story is good enough... And that's really, for me, that's where it it really captures my attention. And I really enjoy the story of the original trilogy. Yeah. That's great. What about you? Um, I don't know. I think I'll be, you guys will notice that I'm a lot more, I'll have a lot more to say about the prequels and sequels. Um, just because one... The, I grew up on the prequels, and the sequels came out in my, like, adult years. And so I, um, I'm i much more connected to the prequels, and I was around for these releases of the sequels. And so I'm just more steeped in those fandoms, and we'll have a lot more to add. Um, I appreciate the original trilogy uh, for, like, what it means to Star Wars, but as far as... Yeah, it's definitely, if I'm going to sit down and watch a Star Wars movie, I will almost always choose one of the other six for pure cinematic entertainment. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. Because as, as terrible as the sequels are, they, they're, the cinematography and everything is still better than it was in the 80s, right? And so it is something that will hold my attention more. Um, but yeah. I still I appreciate what they are. I understand that we wouldn't have Star Wars without them, so like props to them, but all in all, I've very much enjoyed discussing them and um can't wait to revisit them when we talk about characters and such, etc. Ladies and gentlemen, that is all we have to say about Return of the Jedi and therefore the original trilogy. Um it has been a pleasure. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we will be back next week with... I think we'll start with Rogue One. I was going to say Solo because... Well, no, because we're doing release order. We're not kind of doing release order. Unless you want to do these two in chronological order. I, I kind of thought we'd start with Rogue One. That's fine. I don't know why. Anyway, uh, we'll catch you next week with either Rogue One or Solo, a Star Wars story. Um, this podcast is brought to you by... Josiah and Steven. <laughs> Heck yeah. Um, you can reach us with questions, comments, and concerns at A2TA at uh, human cyborg relations um, at gmail.com. And yeah, thank you for listening. Adios. All righty. Adios. All righty. Adios. Adios.